0: Um, Let's move on now. So there was uh, sad news today that football commentator John Motson passed away age 77. Um, He's a legendary, he was a legendary commentator. 29 FA Cup finals, 10 World Cups. Uh, He was in the BBC um, for years. He started in Match of the Day in 1971. He commentated on more than 2,500 games. But that aside, he just seemed like one of the most popular guys in the... um, in the stadium, So nice to everybody, so chatty, a time for everybody. And the tributes have been flowing in all day about him. Um, he seemed to just make such a, a lasting impact on the people that he met and left a, a great legacy. We chatted to his colleague Guy Mowbray and we'll be, t- we'll be playing that out a little bit later on. But he had some uh, brilliant memories of him. Um, Ruby, you watched a lot of him and listened to a lot of him growing up and today then as well to um, remind you of just how great he was.
1: I know I'm on RT radio and you shouldn't be... Publicising the, the opposition, but if you do go on the BBC website and watch his interview with Brian Clough from, I'm not sure what year it was, but it is just incredible the way Guy or Brian Clough speaks to John Motson and how he doesn't lose his temper and keep asks, asking him questions. Like if it happened now, social media would explode <laughs> with the interview that, that Brian Clough gave him. But he, look, he's. All these different commentaries, Marie, you're on about highlights. His voice is just synonymous with soccer. FA Cups, World Cups, you said it, even that commentary with Robbie Keane. Um, I probably watched that on Irish television mm-hmm. yet I can remember that commentary so clearly
0: Yeah, uh, he was actually on uh, Game On back in 2017 with Hugh Call and uh, Ronan our producer has dug up some of it, let's listen.
1: And when you started there, was, there wasn't there was nearly as many camera angles, John I was reading today no. that there was no, no replays either and you just had to commit no. to what you saw and trust your, trust your instinct.
2: You're quite right there, um, Barry Davis and I used to go out on a Saturday to do the match of the day highlights and when a goal was scored or any other incident for that matter, there was no replay because the only machine the BBC had was being used in the studio for racing. You know, the, yeah. um, the close finish at Ascot or whatever. Yeah. And what used to happen was we when the players were going back celebrating to the centre circle when a goal was scored, Barry and I had to, Ryan, retract the way the goal came about in words and hope that when they got the machine back in the evening and they put the replay in... <laughs> that we haven't got it too far wrong. Yeah. Um, now, of course, for the modern commentators, it's completely different. You know, you're, you're given probably three, four, five replays, and maybe you don't need them all. But in those days, it was a bit of guesswork, I have to say.
1: So your preparation had to be pretty spot on then, John. I I think I remember reading years ago about something you had commented on your own pre-match preparation that something like 90% of the stuff that you have prepared for you'd never use, but obviously better to have it and not use it than the other way around.
2: Yes, I mean, that always is the case. I mean, I come home sometimes and think, well, all that stuff I did on this player or that team um, never came to pass or I never used it. But of course, you've got to be prepared. You don't know when you go and do a match who's going to be the star of the show? I mean, Mm. you know, giving you an example from this week when Woodburn scored for Wales. um, As a commentator, you'd have to do your homework on all the players and the substitutes and be prepared for anybody to hit the headlines. Mm. So that kind of um, intense preparation never goes away. Um, And it's a challenge and it's a a kind of um, adrenaline rush, I suppose, on a Thursday and Friday when you're getting ready for your match, you try and, visualize what might happen and you prepare yourself as best you can but i mean the game is so unpredictable of course there are moments when any commentator can get caught out however much effort you've put into the preparation
0: that was john Motson speaking to our own hugh cal back in 2017 such an amazing voice and just even hear him in conversation there uh, one thing that that we're going to touch on with Guy a little bit later on is that he always sounds like himself and it might sound like the simplest thing but it's not the easiest thing to do
1: no it's not and I'd look to different um, the advice that he gave mm-hmm. to Guy Mowbray who tells us about it um, it's just incredible and I was just couldn't get over the advice of silence mm-hmm. when there's a goal score to say nothing to just allow to allow it breathe like it It's so simple, but to actually do that and to be yourself—and oh, he was a a brilliant commentator. But the the BBC had iconic voices, Sir Peter O'Sullivan, John Motson—just incredible, aren't they?
0: yeah they are and, and I know that one that you really liked Ruby was his commentary from back in 1972 when Hereford knocked out Newcastle they were a top flight team at the time as they are now and that one ended up in at the very top of match of the day and he captured everybody's attention and it really got him going um, let's remind ourselves of it
2: this is Ronnie Radford So Addison Good ball. Out by Natras. This is George, the substitute. Oh, turning well. Malinder. Meadows heading it on. Tremendous spirit in this Hereford side. They're not giving this up by any means. Radford. Now Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford the scorer! ronnie radford and the crowd the crowd are invading the pitch and now it will take some time to clear the field what a tremendous shot by radford he got that ball back and hit it from well outside the penalty area and no goalkeeper in the world would have stopped that it fairly flew into the top corner of the net
1: to watch the scenes Marie as the crowd from Hereford come running onto the pitch like, and there was a couple of minutes left as as uh, John was saying it's going to take a bit of time to clear this up I wonder how long it actually did take to get them back off the pitch back into the stands but I suppose they were the good old days weren't they?
0: They were yeah and you, he paints such a lovely picture and he captures it's actually the sound is lovely isn't it it's such yeah. a, a comforting sound having the crowd and, and just kind of the electricity that you can feel in the background there well we did mention that we caught up with Guy Mowbray earlier on to chat to him about He's uh, like colleague john Motson and i started by asking him about his interactions with john uh, guy thank you so much for joining us just first and foremost what were your interactions like with him
3: oh there, there, there were many marie um started when i when i began at uh, well actually even before i began at bbc television sport which was in 2004 I, I got to know him through just being on the scene and seeing seeing him at games and sharing commentary gantries with him and um They were always, well, I was in awe to start with because he was was this voice that I'd grown up with. He was the voice of football and forever will be. Um, So I was a little bit in awe, but you wouldn't believe it by the way that he interacted with every one of us that does this job um, because he would greet you and you would be a colleague. You would be of equal standing straight away. There was no looking down. There was no patronising. He would ask you for information, which made you feel a million dollars. I think my my second week at the BBC I think you rung me up and said oh you covered Everton last week can you tell me about this guy and and, and I said motti has got my number That's <laughs> tremendous um and yeah an, an absolute an absolute gentleman and 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 the font of all football knowledge
1: but that is some way to put people at ease he was top dog yeah he just put all the competition at ease beside him
3: yeah I think he was just so comfortable ruby he 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 knew what he did um and he did it so well and and more the merrier that came and joined in with him and did it with him. Um, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't wasn't seen as any sort of competition, as I think maybe it is a little bit at times. Um, there weren't there was was no such thing as a rival. It was just we're, we're all watching football. We're all going to enjoy it. And my goodness, did he enjoy it? I mean, it, it was his life. He um, he lived and breathed that. He soaked up every bit of information, every bit of knowledge, um, and it and it is the template for everybody to follow now because. The way he prepared for games was like nobody else. Um, we all do it now. We're all meticulous, a bit over the top with it sometimes, to be honest, but he, he didn't leave any stone unturned. Um, and then the the, the the boyish enthusiasm that came out during a game where well, you just have to hear any clip and you, you can hear it. it, it's there, it's ever present. And what I liked was the common touch. It, it wasn't too wordy. It was it was I think simplicity was his strength. The rise and fall of his voice matched the game. You knew when it was good You knew when it wasn't so good And, and he, just, he just got it right He got the tone right pretty much every time
0: We have a brilliant sports writer here Malik Lee Clerken, And he wrote a, a fabulous piece for the Times today And I just mm. thought uh, he summed him up beautifully He said there was nothing artificial about John You listened to him commentate on a football match And you knew instantly And without having to think about it That he was being himself And that's what everybody tries to be And it's not an easy thing to do So for that to be said about him I just think it's lovely
3: no, that's that's absolutely right because commentary is is natural. You're reacting to what you see. It's it's. I think it's one of the purest forms of broadcasting. It's, it's a little bit like this, you know. It's live radio. You just you're just reacting to what you see to what's going on. There's nothing pre-scripted or rehearsed. You have to be yourself. There's no other way of getting around it. And and he was every single time you know, for for good and bad. And when I say bad, there was never anything really bad. But I'm remembering um, one one funny story from from BBC Sport. The, the, when, when Talkback... He, he wasn't a fan of Talkback, of hearing the director. He liked to just get on with it. And if anybody got anything to say to him, you, you wrote it on a note and passed it on to him. And it was the World Cup. I think it was 2006. And again that he was doing was going to extra time. And that the, the producer on Talkback was desperate for John to, to let it be known to everybody that the news was going to be delayed. So at about the fifth time of asking him that, John, you're going to have to tell people that the news is going to be a bit later, he pressed Talkback and he shouted back down, for goodness sake... This is the news. And, and 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 he and he was right with that as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh, that is that is some line. But I was watching great tributes on him today and even looking back on his on his life guy and how he got going and how he got a start in the BBC, he got a, a one year trial with Match of the Day and then a game, Newcastle and Hereford. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. his breakthrough. I mean, if you get you need a rub with the green, but could you imagine getting a breakthrough in a game that involved Hereford? <laughs>
3: We all need that. We all need that, don't we? You all need a lucky break and something to go your way. Yeah, it could have been 4-0 Newcastle and no story here and, and it disappears. But I quite like the fact that all these years on and all the 29 FA Cup finals, he's been the 10 oh. World Cups, six World Cup finals. But the thing that we hear most and the thing that he's most associated with him is still that game on a muddy pitch at Edgar Street, Hereford. And I love that because that, that is all about the football, nothing else. No airs or graces, no frills. And that was John, just all about the football. Nothing else mattered. I think it's quite fitting that that's the game that we still most associate with him.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Was he a one-sport man? I know he kind of dabbles in other big events like the Olympics, but was he just football to the core?
3: And for, for, for most of his career yes i know in the early days he like you say he did olympics he did he did tennis did a bit of wimbledon he did some boxing um i, I think he could turn his hand to anything i heard a story about he did greco-roman wrestling at one olympic games and, <laughs> and actually actually said that the the bloke in the wrong color leotard had won and, and got it wrong <laughs> gave the, medal to the wrong bloke but you know you can, you can do that we've all done things like that um there's a funny story about um he was commentating at wimbledon for for BBC Radio way back when and Jack Nicholson the actor just came in and sat next to him and started co-commentating with him you know things like th- things that don't happen to normal no. people like us it just doesn't happen but, but it always seemed to happen to Motty, and, and he just he, ca- he kind of just took it in his stride um so yeah he could do other things but football was his passion he was a he was a he was a decent player by all accounts I think he played for Dulwich Hamlet at a, a very good amateur level and I think he was a decent player and and He'd always set his stall out, I think, to be a, to be a football journalist and, and reporter and ultimately commentator. And, and as a commentator, he actually, and other people came before, but I think what he did was he set the tone for every one of us that does it now because he was almost the first that didn't have the old BBC broadcasting established sort of authoritative voice. It was a normal voice and it matched sort of your everyday football watcher perfectly. And we've all got a little bit of that. We've all learned, subconsciously or otherwise, to take a bit of that style. And, and to me, his greatest legacy will be that for all the games that he's done, for all those big occasions that he got absolutely spot on, you'll actually hear him in every game that you watch on television, whether you know it or not, because whoever's doing it will have a little bit of Motti in them.
1: That's a beautiful, beautiful tri- tribute guy. And as you said there in the beginning, he was a reporter Well, And I watched back his interview with Brian Clough. Or Clough cuts yeah. loose about match of the day and what they're doing wrong. It, it is a much most watch, but what patience did he have? I mean, he took some restraint as an interviewer not to bite. It's that's an incredible interview as such. But how did he sit there and take that from Brian Clough?
3: I I, I don't know. I think he just read situations really well, knew when to be quiet, and 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 knew when when he could. Um, have a little bit of a go back but um he was a gent basically i think that was it um he, he just he just was a very good reader of situations um to, i have to say not 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 so good sometimes with social situations where you know in his latter years he used to treat us all occasionally well there was once a year there'd be motty's lunch which all the other commentators and, and various editors of, of bbc staff would go to and um it, it would be at one of his favorite places in london never anything too fancy well, the number of times after a couple of glasses are red, he would inevitably fall asleep in his pudding at some point. Um, but he was still he was still tuned in to everything that was going on. And we'd all be talking about this bit of football or that bit of football. And suddenly the head would rock back and he'd say, 1982, Spain, go a chair. And he'd been listening to everything. And he knew the answer to the question before everybody else anyway, whether he was half asleep or not. He just he just absorbed everything.
0: It's so interesting because when you think about uh, commentators, you always think of their voices. But for him, you think about his look as well and the coat. Did he always have it on?
3: <laughs> no, not always. Not always. I know he had some very smart sort of camel coats that, that, that <laughs> looked a bit better, but that became his trademark ever since the, uh, the, the, uh, the iconic shot everybody's seen, the, the wintry day at Wickham Wanderers um, before an FA Cup tie when he was stood out in the snow for ages waiting to do a live hit into, into grandstand, as it would have been then. Um, and he had the sheepskin on. And that basically then became the trademark and, and he was I know he, he had a several he had a collection of several of them and uh, very expensive coats by all accounts I, I don't think any commentator should ever wear one again because you can't you have to retire you, can't. you just you, you just cannot that's yeah. that's his and that's <laughs> it and and everybody should should be I, I, I go coatless if possible I can't match wearing a coat <laughs> like either, so I don't bother
0: what a legacy leaving the, the other commentators coatless Uh, The one for me that stands out, it's maybe because it was the time that I grew up and it was such an iconic um, moment and I loved the the premiership then, was um, David Beckham's halfway line goal. And I watched it a a lot again today and and showed the children and stuff. But to even nail it the way he did was special.
3: Oh, And it's the voice. Mm -hmm. It's the way the voice goes up several octaves in that sort of boyish excitement of the moment just capturing the moment but then after a pause can come back down again to convey just what it means and the gravitas of it and and that's what i meant earlier by by the rise and fall his timing was was impeccable and, and it's something i still try to, to copy today and sometimes get too excited and carried away we all do but you know the one the one lesson i particularly learned from him is is, is the value of silence and when a goal goes in don't fill the space. Call the goal, then let it breathe and let it breathe for as long as you want, for as long as you see fit, because nobody's listening to you at that point anyway. This was, this was an important lesson he told me. Nobody's listening to you at that point anyway. There's a goal gone in. There's pandemonium, whether they're at the ground, whether they're at home, whether they're in the pub. People aren't listening to you at that point for a good 10, 20 seconds. Let it breathe. And, and, and he, was, he was a master at it.
1: Incredible advice. But then when you listen to it as well, and I was listening to one today, and it's so right, when Paul Gascoigne got the second yellow card at the World Cup in the semi-finals against Germany, or East Germany as it was then, Mm. how he went down almost in in mourning with Paul Gascoigne.
3: Yeah, empathy. 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 Um, And feeling what the viewers are feeling. Um, and, and there's another lesson as well. You know, we all get, get criticised as commentators. Everybody has their own biases. Um, we all get criticised for being biased. I can guarantee you we're not. <laughs> Nearly all of us, 99% <laughs> of us aren't. When the game starts, it's one team against another. Mm-hmm. You, that's beaten out of you very early. You just don't even feel it. But the one time you can be, and the one time that, that you're sort of tuned into it, and this is what he taught me as well, just by listening to him, it's when it's a national team when 90 percent plus of the audience are kind of on that side whether it be Ireland whether it be England whether it be Scotland you, you you're on that side you know who people are willing to win so you can feel that empathy with, with it's not just with the players and the fans but with those back home with the viewers so but then you know another great Barry Davis had it didn't he you know you you, you, can, you can hear him saying oh no when 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 Southgate missed that chance for England against West Germany Dagas going rather at the far post, and then Southgate misses his penalty later. You know, I think you're allowed to do that when it when it's when it's a national team involved because, th- th- people are with you, people mm. are with you,
0: and you are them. When it came to statistics, the um, the view is that he was a huge fan, but he used them as a guide rather than a weapon, and he had a really good instinct on on when to use them. Was he a big fan of that side of the game?
3: In in, in terms of. Um, yeah, it, tell, you, tell you what he wasn't so keen on was was kind of like feedback, as, as we're we're all so desperate for it now, aren't we? With please send your messages in, whether it be via social media, let us know what you think, etc. Uh, I, I remember being told of it um, was being asked to this is the email address, we want your views afterwards, and, and Motti's response was who's broadcasting to who? <laughs> yeah, so,
0: I like that.
3: <laughs> I'm liking it too, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you know I, which, which is not meant to be disparaging to the viewers at all, but it was just kind of a reminder that you know what, I, I have done my research here, I, I've been charged with bringing this to people, so um, can I just get on with it please, rather, <laughs> rather than be interrupted. And again, that would have been meant in the best possible way. There, there, was, no, there was no ego with John. Absolutely none. None at all. Just a childlike enthusiasm for for football. And, and as, as Ruby will know, especially towards his retirement years, for racing as well. I mean, I think it's so poignant. that he's, I was just thinking about catching up with him maybe at Cheltenham. And, and obviously that chance has gone now.
1: It most certainly has it. But I think what I would think, when I think of John Mots and I think of Peter O'Sullivan, two iconic oh, BBC voices.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and John always held Peter up as his hero. He always said he has the hardest job in the world and that he couldn't do it. And I completely concur with that. We all in football take our hat off to the racing commentators because how they do what they do is a different level to what we do. And, and he always said, he always said, Peter O'Sullivan was his ultimate hero. He, he, he often spoke actually about sitting next to the great man during a race meeting. And Peter's advice to John, and this was when he was quite young starting out, was he just said, my dear boy, they'll only remember the ones you mess up on. And, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true. And actually, he was still, even though he'd done it all and done it all brilliantly, and we're all like this, I certainly am like it now, you only remember your tiniest errors. You remember your errors. You don't remember the good ones. And it beats you up. And it, it did with John all the way through his career. I, I've, I've had conversations with him relatively recently where, oh, I didn't get that right. That line wasn't quite right. And I'm thinking, well, you don't have to worry about it, John. You're the best. But it still still got to him. The quest for perfection just, just was, was never-ending. The perfect football commentary has never been done. I won't do it. Nobody will ever do it. But it won't stop us trying
1: well Guy you've been very kind to take the time and take our call we've talked for maybe 16 minutes why one memory is that I said East Germany instead of West Germany so you're dead right <laughs> the mistakes do get us off <laughs> oh, you don't get
3: a lot wrong Ruby don't worry about
1: no, it I don't know about that uh, Guy enjoy your time in Manchester this evening I hope you will see the Reds beat the Stripes thanks so million for taking our call cheers
3: I don't mind who wins as long as I get it right in memory, John <laughs> we can thanks all
0: relate so to that thanks so much 2FM.